Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Open up your Bible to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 12. And as you're turning there, I just want to share with you a few things just as we get underway here. Uh, Matt mentioned just a moment ago uh, as we got started that Daniel Rodriguez, our new district minister, is going to be here to preach next Sunday. And I look forward to, I haven't met him in person yet, so I look forward to meeting him and um, as ministers throughout South Dakota and Nebraska, elsewhere in our central district, he is, he is the pastor to pastors and that's what he's doing. And so as that comes up, it gives me a moment to just kind of pause and look at these last three months that we've, that we've been together with you. And so I just wanted to share a few things. Um, you know, after six months, at the end of April, uh, we were here and you voted us in, uh, and I say us because it's very much a team effort between Justine and I, uh, to come here and get to serve at Bethesda. The next day, we got back and we put our home up for sale. And so from that time all the way to now, it's been something like six months. And when I look at all of that and how we're beginning to get settled, I'm just full of a heart of gratitude. So I wanted to pause before we do anything else and I just wanted to say thank you, uh, specifically uh, John Ahart and, and Mike Brosnan. Their teams got us moved in a couple weeks ago into our homes and um, what would have been a ridiculous amount of man hours for me and a ton of aspirin uh, from back pain uh, has been, been kept away. And um, just thinking about how this is the thing we call Pastor Appreciation Month. I, there's a guy I follow on Twitter and he said, Pastor, whatever happens on Pastor Appreciation Month, whether the church does something or nothing, know that God is for you. And so you kind of go into it going, I don't, I don't really know what's gonna happen. And then I have over 100 uh, little notes in my office that I will probably be looking for for the next year of kiddos that uh, put them in books and put them underneath, um, under, underneath furniture and making comments just, just, uh, just of encouragement and comments about how I tell stories and for some reason like a third of them were all about my hair and what they thought about my hair and that was really interesting. So anyways, none of those gestures have been lost on me and Justine. So we wanna say thank you uh, for that. And I think as we've become part of the Bethesda Church family and we're, we're really making this our home and getting settled. I think what makes me so excited is that we're beginning to get glimpses of the future, of, of what, what can happen. And so as we look towards the future, as we keep moving onward, um, the Lord has called us to move forward. I, I think that's actually what we're going to look at here this morning. I think that's the main thing of what Paul's going to say is he's going to call us to move forward. One of the things I found in working in the church is that, that there's no such thing as staying uh, still. You are either moving forward or you are moving backwards. There's no uh, cruising altitude. It's upwards or downwards. That's the only way. And so Paul, I think, is going to show us how we move forward today. But before we do that, can we pray together and then we'll look at the passage. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would show us what we need to leave behind as we set our pursuit this morning on Jesus, leaving what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Would you help us to be able to do that, Lord? What do you want to cut out in our lives? What do you want to remind us of in these moments? How do you want to convict us, Holy Spirit? And then how do you want to encourage us, Lord? Show us the grace of the gospel of Jesus to be able to do these things. 
We thank you for your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in verse 12 today. Let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, Before we get to verse 12, I thought it would be helpful to kind of slingshot this thing, pull back a little bit to some of the verses we looked at last week, remind ourselves of that, and then launch forward into verse 12. Uh, To really sum up verses 1 through 11 of what we looked at last week, uh, Paul, the writer uh, to the church in Philippi, has said, if there was ever going to be anyone uh, who was qualified before God, it was me. I was, born on, uh, I was born into the right family. I had the right last name. I was on the right p- part of town. I had the right ethnicity. And not only that, I had achieved everything um, there was to achieve. I had achieved it better than everybody else. I followed the rules. I was zealous. I was obedient. But when you put all of those things, my achievements and, and my qualifications, and you compare it to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, on the scale, it just doesn't compare. All of those things are like a ripe, hot cow patty in comparison to knowing that Jesus is the treasure of my life and the blessings that come from it, right? And so let me give you one statement to summarize those blessings, okay? Oh, it's already there, great. Through the incarnation, big statement here, through the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ. By faith in him, we have justification, sanctification, and we will have glorification. Put it even more simply, because Jesus came down, died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, and is now at the right hand of the throne of God, you and I know that we can stand in right relationship with our Father, continuing to be transformed into the image of the Son and knowing that that will be completed when we see Jesus face to face. That summarizes everything that we looked at last week. And so Paul says, these are the blessings I have, but I can't stay here. I have these blessings, but I have to also look at my present moment to know how am I supposed to live in this present moment. So here's what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, sisters, that includes you. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let me give you a roadmap of what we're about to do right now. Um, if you look at the first part of 12 and the first part of verse 13, uh, Paul is going to tell us the obvious thing that we all know when we look in the mirror, that we are not there yet, that there, there is more to go, that we haven't arrived. And so what does it mean to not have yet arrived on the one hand? And then the second thing, we're going to answer this question. If you were to devote yourself to one thing and only one thing for the rest of your life, what would that most important thing be? And Paul is going to say that prize is to know Jesus fully, to know him fully. There's no higher pursuit, okay? I think this is also really good that we look at this right before our annual meeting that's coming up right after this, that we would know how to move forward, by the way. So first, let's look at this, that we would, number one, know that we haven't yet arrived, Paul says, I have not already obtained this. I'm not already perfect. I do not consider that I've made it my own. 
And so with all these qualifications, he says, I'm not there yet. So what are those things that he says, I haven't yet gotten? Well, I think when you, this is why you pull back a little bit and slingshot it, you realize what he says, I haven't yet attained, is the resurrection from the dead, verse 11. And for him, the resurrection from the dead, it is so key because that's where he is going to know Jesus fully and finally. He's going to know him. Like, think about this. Don't you look forward to the day where there's no one, like, no one will be up here talking about Jesus, but you'll actually be able to talk to Jesus? Don't you look forward to not having to see uh, adaptations in a movie or pictures or anything else like Jesus? No more sermons, no more Bible studies, no need to have small groups because you don't have to talk about Jesus, you get to talk to him. I think about Mary and how she goes to the tomb after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. She goes to the tomb and it's empty and then she finds the gardener and she says, where have you laid him? And, and the gardener says, who's Jesus? Mary. Don't you look forward to that day where you get to see him face to face and he calls out your name. No more struggles with sin. No more infirmity. No more heartache or disappointment. No more waiting. You will stand in front of Jesus and say, you've known me from the foundations of the earth, and yet now I know you fully. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, right now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so Paul says, I haven't yet attained that yet. That's not yet what I've attained I don't know yet Jesus fully like I will. But secondly, he says, there's something else that I haven't yet attained. And he says that I haven't yet become fully like Christ. I haven't been perfected. And so we talked about that word sanctification from last week. Sanctification is the process after justification where Jesus is making you more and more into his image. And Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet, friends. I'm in the process. And so I think there's just two really good thoughts here from this observation that Paul says, I have not yet been perfected. And the first one is for all of those who are recovering perfectionists, recovering perfectionists. And it's the healthy reminder to kindly remind us to get over ourselves. Get over yourself if you are a perfectionist, I think. And I put myself, by the way, at the top of that list. You notice I said recovering perfectionist? I don't call myself a perfectionist anymore. There was one point where, when as a kid, if you, if you could teleport back in time and you saw Aaron as an eight-year-old, what you would find is the kid that had to make sure all the Legos went in the right place. The penmanship had to be perfect, and I had to get the right grades, the best grades, in order to make my mother happy. And I should tell you, my mother, she never put that pressure on me, but I put it on myself. As I got older, this, this perfectionism that was within me uh, came through in athletics, the, the desire to achieve and always be at the top. And I found, though, that it was, it was just never enough. I also found that when it's not enough, it usually comes through in frustration and anger in my own life. And so once I realized that I was dealing with this thing called perfectionism, um, I started saying, I'm just a perfectionist. Oh, Aaron, you're just a perfectionist. I know, I'm a perfectionist. Maybe you, you can relate to that in your own way. It, you know what happens, though, when you start labeling yourself with the thing that you fall short in over and over? Over time, 
that negative thing can become a crutch that you hobble on to justify your sinful behavior, and you make excuses for that behavior. And, and it can really get kind of weird. Let me, let me give you an example of this. The Christians were... Christians, church people are so good at spiritualizing these things that, are, that we can make into crutches. I remember one time I was talking to a lady and she was making excuses for her husband because he was always kind of a, he was just a crass guy, just always saying things that you're like, I don't think you should say that in church, man. It's just a little bit too far, right? And he was just kind of a harsh guy. And she would say, oh, Tommy, uh, he, he just has uh, the spiritual gift of uh, being a prophet. He's just a prophet, and so he's just a little rough around the edges. And I remember thinking, no, Tommy's just a jerk. That's what Tommy is, right? <laughs> like, like, you've heard someone do that before, where it's like, this is my spiritual gift, or this is my thing that I deal with. And it's like, no, face reality, right? Face reality. Let us be careful that we do not ascribe labels to ourselves that we then can use to justify our sinful behavior, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm recovering from being a perfectionist. Here's the words I use instead to describe myself now. Here's maybe words that you should use, I recommend as well. Here's better words. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I have been born again. I am justified by my Father in his sight. I am being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I will be glorified finally when I am conformed into the image of the Son. I am who I am because the great I am has made me his own. And so I may not yet be where I want to be, but I know that I will get there because of the Son. I may not yet be where I want to be, but I know that even though I have not yet arrived, I am his own, and there's nothing that the world can do about that. And so if you're a student, and I know many of you are here, and there's, there's others throughout the room. So if you're a student, you're a kid, young adult here at Bethesda, just lock in with me for just a moment, okay? You don't have to be perfect, even if you feel like others have placed that pressure on you. You don't have to be perfect, and you can't be this side of heaven. Paul said himself in his own frustration, I'm not yet there. And if he's not there, man, of course, you and I are not yet there. And so here's my recommendation. Can you do me a favor? Can you chill out for just a moment and remind yourself, you don't have to be perfect because Jesus was already perfect for you. He already did that work for you. And so you already have the approval in him that your parents may not give you, that your siblings may not have given you, Fellow peers or, or, or teachers may not have given you, but you have it in your Father. If he has redeemed you, have the grace to release yourself. Secondly, another thing. I, I like the way Paul says, I haven't yet arrived, and yet he's also the same guy that has been in ministry for 20 years, right? He says, acknowledges after everything that he's done, I still need to grow. I'm not there yet. And I think that's just an incredible example of humility, I had a uh, professor in seminaries probably about uh, six years ago, and he had written a book on the Trinity, and he was just a brilliant guy. Basically, when someone writes a book on the Trinity and they start talking, you should probably be quiet. That's just as a general rule, I think that's a good thing. And so he had written a book on the Trinity, and it was being published as we were in his class on the Trinity. And so we were, he was reading to us, his lectures were the chapters from his book. Very smart man. 
And I remember one day in class, he's talking about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and so on and so forth. And if you've been in a small group, or if you've been in class, you know there's always that one student, right? There's always that one guy that has to let everybody know how intelligent he is. And so this guy raises his hand, and you're like, for the hundredth time, you go, please don't do this, please don't do this. He raises his hand, and he says, I have an opinion. And he starts going back and forth with the professor, and he says, can I come forward? And so he, the professor lets him come down to the front of the class, and we're all thinking, please don't do this. And he takes the marker from the professor, and I'll never forget, he starts writing on the board, the student does, and my professor, Dr. Yarnell, he moves over to the side like this, and he just lets the guy go, right? Just lets the guy go. And the student starts explaining and does, and does everything that he, and says everything that he has to say. And I remember thinking, my professor who has written a book on the Trinity, has graduated with his DPhil from Oxford University, could wipe the floor with this guy if he wanted to. But instead, he was humble and gracious, really gracious, and just let the guy go. And they ended up engaging with one another, and it ended up being a good encounter. He could have embarrassed this guy, but he didn't. And in the years past, I've thought about this exchange, and I, and I have come up with two things. I think knowing Dr. Yarnell, the first thing that I've realized is that he has this view that every person is made in the image of God, and therefore they have worth and they have dignity, and therefore they should be respected, no matter how prideful and arrogant they may be. So he was humble towards this guy. That The second thing I think I've learned is that when you get that rare combination between humility on the one hand and brilliance on the other, it, it, is, it is rare. Think about how many smart people that you know that are really arrogant, right? And think about how many other people who want to say that they're, oh, I'm humble, and yet they never take the time to learn anything. And yet when you have both, it's a wonderful combination. He was not too arrogant, my professor, to think that he had arrived and had nothing in himself that he needed to learn. Perhaps he could learn something from this student. That was his posture. And I think this is a great word for every single one of us who find ourselves in some form of leadership, is that you, especially for those of us who are younger in leadership, you can think that you know everything and ignore the wise counsel of older men around you like Rehoboam did in 1 Kings. And you know what happened there? The whole kingdom ended up getting split in half because he didn't pay attention to the older wise men around him and only paid attention to his younger friends, his peers. And so there are fewer things more dangerous and disastrous for the church than when God's servant leaders do not humble themselves, listen, and acknowledge that they have room to grow. And so my question for you is this, what is that thing for you in your family life, in your marriage, that you are not yet teachable on? And the Lord has been working, he's been knocking on that door and saying, hey, I wanna work on this, we need to deal with that right here, and yet you haven't been teachable yet. What is that thing that the Holy Spirit this morning says, we need to work on this? Humble yourself and let the Lord say, you're not there yet, but I'll get you there. And so let's put this all together, okay? Let's put this all together. The Apostle Paul is saying that he has not yet come to a full understanding, full knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he has not yet fully been perfected into his image, but he has called us to be humble and teachable as we serve and pursue Christ. 
And so if he's not there yet, and he says, I'm getting on the way, here's what I do, okay? And so look at verse 12 and 13 again with me. The second part of those sentences says this. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Again, verse 13, 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's what he says he does. So if the first thing Paul says, I haven't yet arrived, and now he says, that doesn't mean I just sit around, I work. I, number two, wholeheartedly pursue the prize of knowing Christ fully. And so you see that. He doesn't say, you can't run the race. He says, you still gotta run your race. I heard someone say one time, there's no rest for the righteous. And I think that's a very true statement. There ain't no rest for the righteous. We are called to move forward when the gun of initial salvation goes off. And so perfection is not, is not what we're straying for on, on the one hand. And we're not being called to sit back and relax. We press forward towards the goal. The question is, what is that goal? I think our goal, number one, is this. Our goal is the prize of fully knowing Jesus. I think we've been saying that. That Christ promised to us in the call of God. Paul says, but one thing I do, I press onward toward the goal. And that goal is to receive the prize like a winner who runs the race. Paul says, I passionately want to know Jesus. And what I find to be so fascinating about this is how he ends verse 14, and he tells us that that conclusion that he is going to have Christ in the end is a foregone conclusion because it is based in God's call. Do not miss this, friends. It is based in God's call. He knows that he's going to gain Christ, know Christ, be found in Christ because he was called first by Christ. Paul, who was called on the road to Damascus, knows that at the end God will call him to himself. This is a key word in Paul's theology. God gives, God's call gives people the promise of the prize. Uh, if you look at Romans 8.30, it says this too. It says this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so here's more grace, I think, to rest easy for those of us who may be perfectionist or something else. You know that you will get to the end because God called you first. He enacted in you the ability to do so. And so our foundation then is grace. Paul says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's made me his own. You see, again, you're working and you're striving and you're moving forward is because he has made you his own. And now you make him his own. What you're doing is responding to an act that he started. And so if you back all this up, to, I think, to verse 10 and 11, where Paul says that he desires to be like Jesus in his suffering and in his death and in his resurrection, that if statement in verse 11 where he says, if by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that, that right there, friends, that is, that is not a maybe I will or will not get to heaven. He knows that he will get to heaven because he was first called by God and Jesus has made him his own. And I think this is true for us. Dear friend, have you been listening to me the last several weeks? Are you tired of hearing me say, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ? Grace 
initiates your obedience. And so if you are here this morning and you go, I, I messed it up again, I have fallen short again, the very fact that you are here is because he will not yet let you go. He started, he will finish. He called you, you respond. He made you his own, and now you are making him your own. Be freed by his grace toward you this morning. And so if one, we are called to pursue Jesus and knowing him fully, and two, that pursuit is built on the grace of being called by God. Three, how do we act that out? And Paul tells us. He says, your approach is to forget what lies behind and strain toward what lies ahead. So you're supposed to act like a runner. What does a runner do? If you were in track, what did your coach say to you? Okay, you think about that last 50 of the 100-yard dash or, or of a mile run or anything like that. What does your coach say to do? Don't look to your left or right or look behind you to see how far you're ahead or everybody else is. You're supposed to look forward and not get distracted along the way. And Paul is essentially saying the same thing. One scholar puts it this way. He says, Paul forgets as he runs. I think that's a great way to put it. He forgets as he runs. He's not worried about what just happened before. He's focusing on what lies ahead. Maybe you're sitting there and wondering, well, Aaron, I thought you had said a few weeks ago, I thought you said that we should remember the good things that God has done in our lives. Like, didn't you say that when God does good things, we should make a list of what he has done, how he's answered our prayers, how he's moved in our lives, and when things don't go well, we can refer back to that and say, that's right, he's been faithful all along. And now you're saying, forget what lies behind and strain toward what lies ahead. That sounds like, like a contradiction there. Which is it, do we remember our past? Or do we forget about our past as we look forward? I think this is what I would say. Psalm 105.5 is in my Bible, and it says this. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Clearly, you shouldn't forget about the great things that God has done that are miraculous and great in your life. You look to the past and say, if he has been faithful toward me and how he got me through that, he is gonna be faithful in the present and he's gonna be faithful as I go into the next stage of life. Remember the good things, Paul says, and I think scripture says. So if it's not that, then maybe we should define what then should we forget? And I think the first thing is this. Paul says, I forget everything that I've previously achieved in, before I met Jesus. And so all of those things that we looked at last week, all of his qualifications, all of his achievements, Paul says, I forget about them. And so you remember all those things that you had in your life before you met Jesus? Paul says, forget them. <laughs> Move on from them. By comparison, none of those matter in comparing to knowing Jesus Christ. But then second, I think this also includes, y'all, to forget everything that you've achieved since you've become a Christian. And Paul says, that he has been, we've been reminded that he's been a Christian for 20 years. And so this is a guy that has been on some long-term mission trips. This is a guy that's been to a council, planted a few churches, discipled a lot of people. And Paul says, I still, even though I've done all of those things, I can't live in the past. I can't live in the past. And he's kind of given it a picture to us like this. You ever meet an old geezer who's just living in the glory days? And he's just talking about how great of an athlete he was once upon a time. And you're going, that's kind of depressing that you're still held up on what happened in high school, right? True? 
And so Paul is saying, I don't want to be held up on some of those things that I achieved once upon a time. And I have to admit to you, when I read this, this has been so convicting for me in this way. I'll tell you a story. There was one point in ministry where the Lord had blessed me with an opportunity to start up a ministry and get things going, and I was asked to do that and start it from scratch. Took two years, and I, and I did this. Uh, did this work with Justine, and um, people were coming to this ministry, getting excited. I was like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than doing this thing right here. You get, when you see salvations and baptisms happening, and you get to be a part of starting something up like that, it just makes you so excited. Well, through some unforeseen circumstances, I had to end up releasing that ministry because God had called me to something else. And I gave it to another guy, or it was given to another guy. And you know what he did after two years of work? He took that ministry and he just ran it right into the ground. And in a period of about four months, the whole thing was dead. And I had some stuff I needed to work through because that was incredibly frustrating to see two years just go poof, just like that. And in the time since, as I've read this passage, it's been such a healing word for me because it reminded me of at least a couple things. I think the first is, it was never my ministry to begin with. It was the Lord's ministry, and I was just the steward of it. The second thing is that if I continue to live in my past achievement, it would just lead me towards pride and bitterness every single time. I am called, and you are called, Despite past disappointments, dis disappointments, heartaches, and even achievements, to not let your past cost you from moving forward for Christ in the here and now. This is something that is so hard, I think, for our culture because we are so invested on, a, on looking inward and being introspective and, and, and looking at what happened to me in my past. And I think there's a certain point where we are called to say, those things may have happened, whether they're good, bad, or ugly. But don't let those things cost you from living for Christ right now. And so I love the way one pastor just summarizes all of this and he puts it together this way. How should we remember? Well, there's good remembering and there's bad remembering. Forget everything that hinders your faith and obedience and remember everything that serves faith and obedience. Keep it close to you as you run toward Jesus. But don't let anything keep you from straining forward. And so here's the thing about the Christian race, this race called life. There's no such thing, friends, as a trial run. You don't have a semifinal, and when you go to the final, you don't get to have a do-over the next year afterwards. You're either going to waste the time that the Lord has given you now, or you will use it to move forward by grace. And so let us, my prayer is this, is that we would move forward as a church, enduring the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He has called us, he says that he will sustain us, and he will get us to the end. And the end you've enjoyed today's message if you would like to know more about bethesda church you can check us out on the web by going to our website which is bethesda m 
bethesdamb.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.